crocodile becomes as huge as a prehistoric monster. A rifle as unwieldy as a siege gun. A terrifying black cat whose jaws mean death. A dog looms larger than an elephant. Death in the hands of a ruthless monster. You are listening to the official podcast of the Horrible Imaginings Film Festival, where we brought an analysis of stigmatized creative expression in film, art, and literature to understand the misunderstood. Your host is Miguel Rodriguez. Hello, listeners. Thank you for coming back to the Horrible Imaginings podcast, formerly the Monster Island Resort podcast. I tell you, when it rains, it pours. I have a lot of episodes in the works. You will see some more go up in the next few days. First of all, I'll have a new co-host, the absolutely wonderful and inimitable Angela Englert, who will have her maiden episode appear on my birthday, March 31st, Tuesday of next week, for those of you who are getting me birthday presents. Why the exact date? Well, that episode will also be part of the pre-code blogathon that is being organized by the websites Shadows in Satin, as well as precode.com. Angela and I have a big talk about pre-code and more on that coming episode, and I can't wait for it to go online. For anyone wondering, Angela is a friend I often join on Twitter for various film tweet-alongs like Drive-In Mob or TCM Party. And speaking of TCM Party, I am headed tomorrow morning to the one and only Turner Classic Movies Classic Film Festival in Hollywood, California. My TCM Film Fest episode from last year got a lot of great feedback, so I really can't wait to return to that glorious event, which is filled with filmdom's cream of the crop. So yes, expect some podcast coverage from the TCM Film Festival. But Miguel, you may ask, if you already have some episodes in the pipeline... Why are you bothering recording this one now? Well, my friends, tonight I screened the underrated 1940 gem Dr. Cyclops for my Schlockfest night at the San Diego Public Library, and someone asked me if I do podcast episodes reviewing those movies that I show every month. I said I hadn't and was told that I should. Well, should I? Well, maybe not a review. But it would be nice to talk about some of these films on the podcast, because I do program them for a reason. So here is a brief podcast all about Dr. Cyclops, which is appropriate because it is a classic film for a number of reasons, and I am about to embark on four days of classic film madness at the TCM Film Festival. Dr. Cyclops When I asked how many people had seen this one, only one person raised his hand. My friend Ingrid told me it was on a fairly regular rotation on Saturday afternoon TV years ago, but that she hadn't seen or heard from it since. None of this is very surprising to me. Of all the films of its sci-fi horror milieu, Dr. Cyclops has seemed to be one of those that has fallen into obscurity more than, say, Them, or The Brain That Wouldn't Die, or The Tingler. All of this is interesting to me not only because Dr. Cyclops is older than those films, but also it can boast the honor of being the first science fiction and horror film to be made in beautiful Technicolor, as well as having the honor of getting nominated for an Academy Award for the then very, very new Visual Effects Award. 
It was that year beat out by the remake of The Thief of Baghdad, which is another Technicolor Marvel, so we can understand that. But the visuals in Dr. Cyclops are really something to behold. More on those later, though. First off, let's talk Ernest B. Shodashak. Mr. Shodashak was the director of Dr. Cyclops and clearly wanted to dazzle the world with yet another of the special effects-laden films he had become known for. After all, it is Mr. Shodashak himself, along with his many-times-over co-director Marion C. Cooper, who would bring to life the legendary 1933 masterpiece known the world over as King Kong. Cooper and Shodashak also collaborated on the earlier The Four Feathers, as well as the 1935 historical epic The Last Days of Pompeii. Shodashak also directed the pre-code shocker and often imitated B-film called The Most Dangerous Game on the same jungle sets as King Kong. And incidentally, the beautiful queen of the Scream Queens known as Fay Ray would star in both that and King Kong, as well as in The Four Feathers. Giant Apes did seem to follow Shodashak. He directed Son of Kong in 1933, and his final film would be Mighty Joe Young in 1949. Dr. Cyclops was made in 1940, and it includes a lot of what made Shodashak great. Wonderful and grandiose matte paintings, wild jungle locations that were all built on a set, a spirit of high adventure, but all put into a sci-fi horror film that is more reminiscent of the 1950s than that old age of 1940. In fact, Dr. Cyclops can be seen as very ahead of its time, heralding a lot of tropes that made real waves in the 1950s, such as science gone wrong, megalomania, along with its own brand of technobabble, to try to lend a scientific air of verisimilitude to all the madness that is happening on screen. The music score by Irvin Talbot and others, though, is extremely reminiscent of more of a high adventure or swashbuckling or perhaps a western film, especially in scenes of action. Sometimes I even felt like I was watching something like Davy Crockett, King of the Wild Frontier. Only really a few bars in the main theme hearken to the horrors that were still popular out of Universal Pictures or, say, Columbia at the time. Now that I'm getting to the story, I suppose I should give the obligatory spoiler warning here. No, I'm not reviewing the film, I'm discussing the film. And yes, that will necessarily involve spoilers. So, if you are a spoiler-phobic, press pause now, go put on Dr. Cyclops, watch it and have a grand old time, then come on back and press play. Got it? Good. Okay, now I'm going to go on. So Dr. Cyclops opens with a strange scene straight out of a horror picture. The lighting is very dark, and after a brief argument, a mad scientist commits an act of murder. From that grim scene, we move full on to Technicolor in all its glory, where our heroes gather. The heroes are two biologists, Dr. Robinson and Dr. Bullfinch, a young mineralogist named Dr. Stockton, and a mule farmer named Steve Baker all of whom begin a journey deep into the Peruvian jungle, all at the behest of an eccentric scientist named Dr. Alexander Thorkel. 
When they finally arrive at Dr. Thorkel's, he greets them warmly enough and explains that his eyesight is very poor and he needs help identifying something under the microscope. Dr. Bullfinch quickly identifies the specimen under the microscope lens, and then Dr. Thorkel says, All right, thanks. Don't let the forest kill you on the way out. Of course, it would be one thing if they had to go across town for two seconds and then have to come right back home, but a trip to Peru and through Perilous Jungle for that? The group is understandably pretty perturbed and stubbornly stick around, claiming they've earned the right to see what the good old Dr. Thorkel is up to. He decides to acquiesce and invite them, as well as his servant Pedro, into his lab, where he promptly locks them in and shrinks them down to about doll-sized. The rest of the film is a visual effects extravaganza of miniaturized scientists in togas, Dr. Thorkel's deranged joy at their condition, his very ornery cat, appropriately named Satanus, and other such shenanigans. We get a lot of the staples seen in other films about people whose size dramatically changes, whether smaller, like Attack of the Puppet People or The Incredible Shrinking Man, or bigger, like in Attack of the Fifty-Foot Woman. Dr. Cyclops, however, predates all those films by 17 or more years, and arguably does a better and more meticulous job with the special effects. The shrunken people I can think of offhand that came before this was that very brief scene in The Bride of Frankenstein with Dr. Pretorius's homunculi. That's a pretty great scene, but they were only around for a couple of minutes, and really they never left the single flat table surface, that, that one plane. Dr. Cyclops, however, has all our shrunken heroes climbing stairs, navigating Dr. Thorkel's lab, his living quarters, the grounds of his secret hideaway, as well as the jungle itself. They interact with Dr. Thorkel, his arm, his cat Satanus, Pedro's dog, a crocodile, and more. One can see why it was an Oscar contender for visual effects. Its influence on the future of genre film is also undeniable. Even if the film score and action generally feel a little more well-suited to a western adventure than a sci-fi horror. But anyway, back to the story. So, the shrunken heroes briefly escape Dr. Thorkel's house and end up in his backyard, where they somehow dye their togas different colors and make weapons of things like forks and half a pair of scissors. Dr. Thorkel discovers them and is delighted at their ingenuity, but feels little threat from his diminutive prisoners, even when they stand in defiance of him. I demand that you send for the mules and have us transported back to civilization. In a saddlebag? What an undignified position for the great Dr. Bullfinch. In any event, the mules have already been sent back to civilization. Prisoners in Cyclops' cave. Cyclops? Is that a reflection on my vision? No, on your intellect. Cyclops, too, thought size and strength were sufficient. He was a very ignorant fellow. It's all seemingly for naught as Dr. Thorkel snares Dr. Bullfinch in a butterfly net, takes him inside measures him and discovers that his shrunken state is wearing off. Angrily, he promptly kills Dr. Bullfinch with poison. The others escape his grounds through a hole in the stone wall, only to have to confront the jungle itself. After some miniature jungle adventures, Dr. Thorkel finds them, blows Pedro away with a shotgun, and frantically searches for the remaining Dr. Robinson, Dr. Stockton, and Steve Baker. They stow away in Dr. Thorkel's bag and head back with him to his house where they plan on killing him. That's about the gist of the story. I'll stop synopsizing now. Narratively speaking, what I'm most interested in is the death of Dr. Bullfinch at the hands of Dr. Cyclops, or Dr. Thorkel. Now, let me think of this symbolically. If Dr. Thorkel is science gone wrong, or 
megalomania or the arrogance of science, then that would mean Dr. Bullfinch, as the leader of his group, represents the positive side of science, reason, rationality, curiosity. His means of fighting Dr. Thorkel in his scenes are through protest and attempts at reason. Remain here. I shall reason with him. He tries to argue his way out of it. He tries to appeal to Dr. Thorkel. After his undignified end, though, the others resort to most dangerous game-esque tactics just to try to take Dr. Thorkel out. It is the destruction of reason and the need to rely in the end on fight-or-flight survival techniques. It is in this that Dr. Cyclops remains in its early gothic horror roots in 1940, and doesn't quite make it yet to the sci-fi tropes often seen in 1950s films. I also find it very interesting about the sight problems that Dr. Thorkel has. He has numerous pairs of extremely thick and strangely round spectacles in his house. He often regrets his eyesight and talks about it quite a lot. It's a major part of his character. What is interesting is, four years later, in 1944, the director of this film, Ernest Schodeschak, he'll have his own eyesight severely damaged during World War II. And after that, he'll only direct one more film, Mighty Joe Young. I just find that coincidence interesting. It kind of connects Shodashak to his earlier work. The true star of the show, though, has to be Albert Decker, as the titular Dr. Cyclops, both in his physical characteristics and in his magnetic performance. Physically, he towers over most of the other actors, even before they are shrunk down to size. He has a very round and bald head, with his petite little mustache, and a perpetually curious, but really a dastardly curious, look on his face. His performance could easily have wandered into, say, Colin Clive, Dr. Frankenstein territory. But it's a little more in control, more reserved. I am well aware of that fact. And it is that which is most unfortunate. With subtle bubblings of excitement that show at opportune times, Albert Decker takes his role and really makes it his own, and something that is a lot of fun to watch. So, my little friends, you really wage war on me, eh? Albert Decker is a great character actor, and perhaps best known from The Killers with Burt Lancaster, or maybe from his final role as Harrigan in The Wild Bunch. And like some other celebrities these days, Decker was able to both act and go into politics. As a Democratic representative in Hollywood, he was an ardent critic of Joe McCarthy during that Red Scare period, and he got himself blacklisted for his trouble. Bizarrely, both he and his son died from accidental death. His son accidentally shot himself in 1957 at the young age of 16. Decker himself can count himself among a number of others in the public eye who died accidentally while experimenting with autoerotic asphyxiation. That was in 1968. He was 63 years old. Another actor of note is Frank Iaconelli, who plays the Peruvian Pedro. Iaconelli was an Italian immigrant who made it in bit parts in lots of films and television. I mention him here because his... Slowpoke Rodriguez-type portrayal as Pedro is a bit off-color and buffoonish. Oh, I would push him in myself. She is very big. 
The performance would fit perfectly into the topic of my next episode, number 130. Of course, he is one of the two main characters to kick the bucket in this film. Oh, the 40s. On a similar note, what does biologist Dr. Robinson, a woman, do to show her worth? She sure can sew with a mean set of togas. Seriously. I just mentioned those things for their historical context and for fun, and because they would definitely fit in with my next topic. In all seriousness, though, I do hope Dr. Cyclops gets a bit of a revival as a cult classic. It certainly deserves that spot, not only for its performances, its excellent visual effects, its brilliant matte paintings, its great entertainment value, and its place of influence among sci-fi horror, but also for some of the curious things it manages to say in the course of its narration. You should go see Dr. Cyclops, where a bald maniac asks a team of shrunken scientists to weigh themselves and take each other's pulses. And also, Satanus the Cat is so awesomely mean. Now, I am off to prepare for tomorrow's journey to Hollywood and the TCM Film Festival. I can't wait to report on the glorious goings-on from there. These Schlockfest events happen every final Wednesday at the San Diego Central Public Library down at 330 Park Boulevard, the brand new gorgeous library down there. Next month, on April 29th, I will be showing It Came From Beneath the Sea, so don't miss that. Remember to tune in for those episodes. Watch for one episode 130 on Tuesday, March 31st, with my new co-host, Angela Englert. And as always, join me on Twitter for live tweetings of movies and events. My Twitter handle is at HIFSD, H-I-F-F-S-D. Until next time, stay scared.